0: Chapter 10 of The Life and Adventures of Peter Wilkins. Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James K. White, Chula Vista. The Life and Adventures of Peter Wilkins, by Robert Paltick. Chapter 10. I had for a long time wanted to see the other side of the rock, and at last resolved to try if I could not coast it quite round, for, as I reasoned with myself, I might possibly find some landing-places, and perhaps a convenient habitation on shore. But as I was very uncertain what time that might take up, I determined on having provisions, instruments of diverse kinds, and necessary utensils in plenty to guard against accidents as well as I could. I therefore took another sea-chest out of the hold of the ship, and letting it into my boat, replenished it with a stock of wine, brandy, oil, bread, and the like, sufficient for a considerable voyage. I also filled a large cask with water, and took a good quantity of salt to cure what fish I should take by the way. I carried two guns, two brace of pistols, and other arms with ammunition proportionable also an axe or two, a saw to cut wood if I should see any, and a few other tools which might be highly serviceable if I could land. To all these I added an old sail, to make a covering for my goods and artillery against the weather. Thus furnished and equipped, having secured my hatches on board, and everything that might spoil by wet, I set out, with a god's speed, on my expedition, committing myself once more to Providence and the main ocean and proceeding the same way I went the first time. I did not sail extraordinary fast, but frequently fished in proper places and caught a great deal, salting and drying the best of what I took. For three weeks' time and more I saw no entrance into the island, as I call it, nor anything but the same unscalable rock. This uniform prospect gave me so little hopes of landing that I was almost of a mind to have returned again. But on mature deliberation, resolving to go forward a day or two more, I had not proceeded twenty-four hours when, just as it was becoming dark, I heard a great noise, as of a fall of water, whereupon I proposed to lie by and wait for day, to see what it was. But the stream insensibly drawing me on, I soon found myself in an eddy, and the boat drawing forward beyond all my power to resist it, I was quickly sucked under a low arch, where, if I had not fallen flat in my boat, having barely light enough to see my danger, I had undoubtedly been crushed to pieces or driven overboard. I could perceive the boat to fall with incredible violence, as I thought, down a precipice, and suddenly whirled round and round with me, the water roaring on all sides, and dashing against the rock with a most amazing noise. I expected every moment my poor little vessel would be staved against the rock, and I overwhelmed with waters, and for that reason never once attempted to rise up, or look upon my peril till after the commotion had in some measure ceased. At length, finding the perturbation of the water abate, and as if by degrees I came into a smoother stream, I took courage just to lift up my affrighted head. BUT GUESS, IF YOU CAN, THE HORROR WHICH SEIZED ME ON FINDING MYSELF IN THE BLACKEST OF DARKNESS, UNABLE TO PERCEIVE THE SMALLEST GLIMMER OF LIGHT. HOWEVER, AS MY BOAT SEEMED TO GLIDE EASILY, I ROUSED MYSELF AND STRUCK A LIGHT. BUT IF I HAD MY TERRORS BEFORE, WHAT MUST I HAVE NOW? I WAS QUITE STUPEFIED AT THE TREMENDOUS VIEW OF AN IMMENSE ARCH OVER MY HEAD, TO WHICH I COULD SEE NO BOUNDS. The stream itself as i judged was about thirty yards broad but in some places wider in some narrower it was well for me i happened to have a tinder-box or though i had escaped hitherto i must have at last perished for in the narrower parts of the stream where it ran swiftest there were frequently such crags stood out from the rock by reason of the turnings and windings and such sets of the current against them, as could I not have seen to manage my boat, which I took great care to keep in the middle of the stream, must have thrown me on them to my inevitable destruction. Happy it was for me also. I was so well victualled, and that I had taken with me two bottles of oil, as I supposed, for I did not imagine I had any more. Or I had certainly been lost, not only through hunger, for I was, to my guess, five weeks in the vaults or cavern, but for want of light, which the oil furnished, and without which all other conveniences could have been of no avail to me. I was forced to keep my lamp always burning. So, not knowing how long my residence was to be in that place, or when I should get my discharge from it, if ever, I was obliged to husband my oil with the utmost frugality, and, notwithstanding all my caution, it grew low, and was just spent in little above half the time I stayed there. I had now cut a piece of my shirt for a wick to my last drop of oil, which I twisted and lighted. I burnt the oil in my brass tobacco-box, which I had fitted pretty well to answer the purpose. Sitting down, I had many black thoughts of what must follow the loss of my light, which I considered as near expiring, and that, I feared, for ever. I am here, thought I, like a poor condemned criminal, who knows his execution is fixed for such a day, nay, such an hour, and dies over and over in imagination, and by the torture of his mind, till that hour comes, that hour which he so much dreads, and yet that very hour which releases him from all farther dread. Thus do I. My last wick is kindled, my last drop of fuel is consuming, and I am every moment apprehending the shocks of the rock, the suffocation of the water, and, in short, thinking over my dying thoughts, till the snuff of my lamp throws up its last curling, expiring flame, and then my quietus will be presently signed, and I released from my tormenting anxiety. Happy minute. Come, then. I only wait for thee. My spirits grew so low and feeble upon this that I had recourse to my brandy bottle to raise them, but as I was just going to take a sip, I reflected that would only increase thirst, and therefore it were better to take a little of my white Madeira. So, putting my dram bottle again into the chest, I held up one of Madeira, as I fancied, to the lamp and seeing it was white, for I had red too, I clapped it eagerly to my mouth, when the first gulp gave me a greater refreshment and more cheered my heart than all the other liquors I had put together could have done, insomuch as I had almost leaped over the boat's side for joy. "'It is oil!' cried I aloud. "'It is oil!' I set it down carefully with inexpressible pleasure." and examining the rest of the bottles I had taken for white Madeira, I found two more of those to be filled with oil. Now, says I, here is the counterpart of my condemned prisoner. For let but a pardon come, though at the gallows, how soon does he forget he has been an unhappy villain. And I, too, have scarce a notion now how a man in my case could feel such sorrow as I have for want of a little oil. After my first transport, I found myself grow serious, reflecting upon the vigilance of providence over us poor creatures, and the various instances wherein it interposes to save or relieve us in cases of the deepest distress, where our own foresight, wisdom, and power have utterly failed, and when, looking all around, we could discover no means of deliverance. And I saw a train of circumstances leading to the incident I have just mentioned which obliged me to acknowledge the superintendence of heaven over even my affairs. And as the goodness of God had cared for me thus far, and manifested itself to me now, in rescuing me, as it were, from being swallowed up in darkness, I had ground to hope he intended a complete deliverance of me out of that dismal abyss, and would cause me yet to praise him in the full brightness of day. A series of these meditations brought me at the end of five weeks, as nearly as I could compute it by my lamp, to a prodigious lake of water, bordered with a grassy down, about half a mile wide, of the finest verdure I had ever seen. This, again, was flanked with a wood or grove, rising like an amphitheatre, of about the same breadth, and behind and above all appeared the naked rock to an immense height. End of chapter 10